Our scripture this morning is Galatians, the third chapter, verses 10 through 14, and then 23 through 25. It's found on page uh, 1035 of the Pew Bible. That's Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, and through 25 on page 1035 in the Pew Bible. I'm reading from the New King James Version. For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of the faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, we might receive the promise of the Spirit that through faith. Now verse 23 through 25. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. We might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Good morning. It is good to see each of you this morning. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. It's an honor to have you, and it is an honor to welcome uh, the uh, Adcock family and the McBroom family and the Mills family and also the Cole family this morning. We are so thankful that you guys are with us, and we look forward to worshiping and serving God together. You go up to someone and you ask them, why do you worship on Saturday? And they say, because the Bible teaches me to worship on Saturday. You go up to another individual and say, why do you worship on Sunday? And they say, because the Bible tells me to worship on Sunday. And you might leave there scratching your head saying, I don't understand how the same book can teach two different things like that. You go to someone and, and you ask them about dietary laws. Again, I just eat anything. And they say, no, no, you can't eat pork. Well, why can't I eat pork? Because the Bible says you can't eat pork. You go to someone else and ask them, can I eat just anything? And they say, well, sure, your body's a temple of God. You need to take care of it. But we don't live under any dietary restrictions such as not eating pork. You go up to someone and say, are there religious holidays today? You know those days that we ought to observe once a year, festivals, feasts, etc., any kind of religious holidays? And they say, absolutely, and they might even name a few. And you'd say, why? And say, because the Bible says so. You go to someone else and they would say, no, there's not any really religious holidays that we live under. We do gather to worship each first day of the week, and we observe the Lord's Supper but we do that every week, and it's not as much a holiday, a holy day, as it is the fact that we come together as Christians to magnify Christ and to keep the command that He's given. Well, why do you do that? Because the Bible says so. How can it be? How can it be that there's so much religious division today in the world, and so much of that division stands upon that standard of saying, the Bible says so. In other words, back in Paul's day, when he was writing to the people of Galatia, 
He could have said to them, listen, you're living under Christ now. You, you don't need to practice circumcision, and you don't need to pick up those, those festivals of the past and those special days. And by the way, why are you doing that? And they could have said, because the Scriptures says so. This morning, I want us to learn something very important from the Word of God. And that is, I need to learn how the Word of God breaks itself down. It is obvious when we flip through the pages of our Bible that there is an Old Testament and that there is a New Testament. But I need to realize that wasn't because it's such a big book. Men sat down one time and said, hey, how can we divide this thing up? It's written that way and it's divided in two covenants or two testaments for a purpose. And Paul, trying to bring clarification to what the Christian life was to be, spent much time talking to those people of Galatia saying, you need to understand what the old law was and the purpose for why it was given so that you can understand Christ and that new law and how important it is to follow Him and only Him. Two of the ways that he would illustrate that in the text that was... will first identify the old law as a curse. Now that should get the attention of the people of Galatia when they were thinking that they could live under the old law. And he brings it to their attention. No, that's a curse. You might want to avoid that right now. And then later in the lesson we'll see that he was saying, really, the old law was just a tutor to bring the people to Christ. When I think about the curse, many of you that are baseball fans will think about last year how big the word curse was as, as everyone was talking about whether or not the Bambino curse could be broken. You see, back in 1920, the owners of the Red Sox, he had a girlfriend that needed money for a play that she was producing, and the only thing he knew to do was to sell his hot item that he had, and that was George Ruth, better known as Babe Ruth or uh, the Bambino. And so he made an arrangement with the owner of the New York Yankees to trade him for $100,000, which is a sizable sum in 1920. That same year, the Red Sox had hopes of winning the World Series, but you know what? They didn't. And they didn't win it the next year, the next year, the next year. If you take last year as an exception, they would not win the World Series all the way until last year. Four times, only four times, they would go to the World Series in all of those decades, and each time they would lose in the seventh game, and everyone would say, see, it's the Bambino curse. When the New York Yankees would come into their home stadium and beat them 22 to 1, all the fans agreed it was the Bambino curse. They had a legacy for losing, and everyone agreed it was the Bambino curse. A curse that was tied into losses. That's what Paul was trying to get the folks of Galatia to realize. That if you stay with the old law, you're going to lose a lot and you're going to find yourself still guilty of the curse of which Jesus Christ has tried to come and to free you of. And so by this we would see that he would identify the law as curse. Look with me, if you will, now to that text again in Galatians, the third chapter. Let's look now at verse 10, and let's see that it was man's imperfections that was dealing us problems with the law. We're in the third chapter. I'm going to read verse 10 again. He says, For as many as, for as, many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed 
is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the books of the law to do them. Notice he says, cursed if you do not continue in all things. When we see here the challenge of mankind, we see that, of course, that we're not perfect and we're not able to keep all things. And so the problem with the law is not the law itself. The problem is with us. As a matter of fact, when you go over to Romans, the seventh chapter, if you want to turn over in your Bibles to Romans, the seventh chapter, and by the way, that that he was quoting just a moment ago out of Galatians, the third chapter and verse 10, he was quoting out of the book of Deuteronomy, the 27th chapter and verse 26, where the Lord told them back under the old law that you're going to have to keep all the law or yet you're going to be cursed. The law itself was not the problem. In Romans, the 7th chapter, and, and this is kind of a, a little bit of a wordy segment here in verses 7 through 12, and uh, what we'll do is pick out especially verse 12, but I'll go ahead and give you just a brief insight. What Paul was doing was giving them insight to really what is sin. How would you define sin? If Satan is going to tempt us to do what? To do wrong. Well, what is wrong? Wrong is a violation of the commandment of God. In other words, Satan is not going to tempt you to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because there's nothing sinful about making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Satan is going to find something that is a command of God and he's going to tempt you to violate the command of God. In other words, Satan is constantly using the law of God as his basis or foundation of which he will use to tempt us to pull us away from it. And so that's what we talked about in 7, 8, 9, and 10 through Romans of the 7th chapter. But notice verse 12. It's in light of this that he says, Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. So from that we see, the Lord didn't say, Hey, I, I've got to tell you something. There's something about my law. I, I just have a problem with writing a perfect law. I just haven't been able to do that. I just haven't been able to write a good law. I just haven't been able to write a just law. No, that's blasphemy. God's law, even the old covenant, was good. It was holy. It was just. It's man's imperfection that struggles in keeping the law of God. And so therefore we have a standard that's good, but we find ourselves as imperfect people. And so even though we have a good standard, we still need a Savior. Look with me, if you will, now to verse 11 again. We're in Galatians, the third chapter, and verse 11. Notice as he speaks of the law's limitations here, and he just speaks very straightforward about it. He says, but that no one is justified by the law. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? No one is justified by the law. Now, he can be even more straightforward than that. Listen to the rest of this. No one is justified by the law. In the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And so Paul just breaks it down to them simply. You're looking for justification? The law has never justified anyone. That's evident. It's obvious. Proof is there. The law has never justified anyone. So these people that are leaving Christ to go back and pick up parts of the old law, he's reminding them, you can follow parts of the old law, but number one, you can't follow them perfect because you're imperfect people. Number two, you're not going to find justification because justification is not found in a law. This is why when we read down in verse 13, we read about Christ being the substitution for us. Notice again now as we read verse 13, notice the word curse or a form of that word is three times in this one verse in verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Someone says, well, wait a minute. That verse implies that I'm cursed. 
Absolutely. That's right. You and I are cursed unless we've been delivered from that curse. And so let's think for just a moment as we look to the next slide. Let's think about what this curse would be. Now you remember back in the 10th verse of this same text, we saw the fact that we would have to continue in all the law. In other words, keep it perfectly in order to not be cursed. I dare say that anyone here is perfect, so therefore we would find ourselves cursed. That's what Romans the third chapter and verse 23 would tell us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, again, we're imperfect people. Because we're imperfect people, we carry the curse of the law or the curse of sin. But then remember in James, the second chapter and verse 10, he says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, He is guilty of it all. You see what James is trying to get us to see there in that text and what Paul is even trying to get us to see here in the book of Galatia is that Christianity and God's will has never been for us to have just a cafeteria of religion where we come in and say, God, I tell you what, I'm going to keep 90% of your will. I'll take a little bit of that and a little bit of that and I know, Lord, you want me to do this, but I'm not going to do that. But after all, we've got two-thirds here. Or after all, Lord, we have 8 out of 10 here. After all, we have 9 out of 10. And so James writes a very practical book in the New Testament, and he says, listen, if you're going to keep the whole law except for one area, in other words, you're going to go up to the cafeteria of religion, and you're going to say, I'll take it all except for this one little thing at the end, and I'm not going to keep that. He says, okay, it may not make sense to you as a person, but realize how God thinks about it. And God says... Okay, I'm going to say then that you disobeyed all the law. Do what? Lord, I said of this whole cafeteria, I was going to take it all except this one little bit. I'm not going to keep that. He says, okay, I'm going to say then you haven't kept all the law. Lord, that's not right. Think about this. We don't worship a law. We worship God. We don't serve a law. We serve God by keeping His law. So when I look at that cafeteria and I come down to the end and I say, I'll do all that, but this one area I'm not going to do, what we're doing is saying, God, I'm not going to let you be Lord of my life after all. I almost was going to let you be Lord of my life, but I've chosen not to allow you to be Lord of my life. And so to have God... His Son, as the Lord of our life, is to say, Lord, I want to submit my life to you in everything, and that would be going back in all of His will, submitting our life to all of His will. And so here, Paul is writing to those people of Galatia, and he's showing them, even in the past, when they were trying to pick up things of circumcision, he says, listen, you're taking the one that can justify you out of the picture. You're trying to serve a law. You need to serve a Savior. You're leaving the Savior. Now, here's the important thing. Remember the introduction this morning? We talked about the different covenants. You see, those people that would say we need to worship on Saturday, they're following the old covenant. The people that believe in dietary laws are following the old covenant. The people that preach, teach, and practice religious holidays, they're practicing and and teaching the old covenant. And someone says, well, what's the problem with going back and picking up the Old Covenant? The only way we can pick up the Old Covenant is to leave the Savior behind. We can't keep the Savior and join something else to Him. And so here Paul is writing to those individuals in Galatians the third chapter, and he's saying, look, you're under a curse. You need to be delivered from that curse. 
come back to the one that can deliver you from that curse. Notice the next slide, if you will. Notice how Christ was going to become that curse for us. Of course, as we think about John the Baptist looking over, and, and, and this is one of those things that if, if we can have, um, you know, reruns in heaven, we'll say, Lord, I'd like to see that scene again. Because of the significance of this scene, the significance of the words, I want to see this scene again, where John the Baptist looks over and he sees Jesus walking up and he says to John and Andrew there, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is a segment that pulls together the Old and the New Testament. It's powerful and it's beautiful. Who is that man coming? That's the Lamb of God. What was the Lamb? You remember the tenth plague? If the perfect Lamb was slain, then death would pass over the firstborn. And now, the perfect, notice, he's perfect. He kept the old law perfectly. So what does that mean about the curse? The curse wasn't upon him. That means he could be a substitution for us. The perfect Lamb of God could now die for us. Christ's death is a substitution. It should have been me hanging on that cross for my sins. And it should have been you hanging on, your cro- on that cross for your sins. And friends, we will pay that price for an eternity if we don't allow Christ to be that substitution for us. And so it's in that beautiful setting there that we see that. Notice also Hebrews the 11th chapter. In, I'm sorry, Hebrews the 13th chapter. And we're going to pick up in verse 11. Hebrews the 13th chapter. Notice verse 11. And this is, uh, it is parallel in the application, not necessarily parallel in all the details here. This is another beautiful passage where the Hebrew writer is trying to get individuals to take their eyes off of the old aspects of the old law and serving and worshiping a law and put their eyes on Jesus Christ and see if they're willing to suffer with Christ. And here's the way he says it. Hebrews, the 13th chapter, let's pick up in verse 11. He says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Now, did you notice the order there? The high priest, the most holy... They could only enter in. The high priest could only enter once a year, take the blood, pour over, and that was for the atonement of the people's sin. But what did they do with the body of that animal that they poured the blood? They would take the body way outside the camp. And outside the camp, you know, Gentiles, anybody, anything could happen outside the camp. Remember when they, they stoned uh, Paul and they left him for dead? They drug him outside the camp. Remember when they stoned Stephen? In other words, it was a despicable act. What'd they do? They drug him outside the camp. Jesus is about to really open their eyes. The Jews like being close to the temple. They like being close to each other. And here's what the Lord says, verse 12. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. In other words, outside the camp. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And the Jew says, no, no, I want to stay here close to the temple. I want to stay here close to all these things that make me look good. And he says, Christ is out there. No, I want to stay with the law. I want to stay with the old law. Christ, the justifier, is out there. But if I go out there, I'm going to have to suffer reproach. I don't want to go out there. I don't want to suffer like Christ suffered. Okay stay. But you won't have deliverance 
from the curse. The curse will be upon you. If you'll remember several weeks ago, beginning this series, we talked about how when the church was established in Galatia, the Judaizing teachers began persecuting the missionaries. We assume that they also began persecuting the new converts. Now it's a point of interest that now they have joined forces with those Judaizing, persecuting false teachers. You see, before they had gone outside the camp and they had been persecuted for it. Now they had made their way back over to the Judaizing teachers and Paul is simply trying to get them to lay down that old law again. Lay down that false teaching and that false practice again. But it probably was hard to do because they were going to have to go out and suffer with Christ again. Friends, I need to realize that when I make my commitment with Christ, the blessing is significant that I can be delivered from the curse. But the commitment is real that it will always cost me something. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. Look with me, if you will, now to the 19th verse. In the 19th verse of Galatians, the third chapter, at this point we could ask the question, well, why in the world have an old law then? If the old law was a curse of that sense, why have it? The old law was to bring mankind to Jesus Christ. Let's look at a few of these passages. In 19, it says, What purpose then does the law serve? Now, notice the answer. It was added because of transgressions till... See, that's a point in time. Until or till the seed... That's talking about Jesus Christ. See how it's a capitalized S? Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of the mediator. So you see, the old law was a conduit. It was to bring mankind to Jesus Christ. If you look at the next slide, you'll notice Deuteronomy the 5th chapter. Notice what he said in Deuteronomy the 5th chapter as Paul is writing. He says about the old law, the law that he gave from Mount Sinai to the children of Israel. Now notice this. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. Moses stood there with that generation. He said, your fathers didn't have this law. The law of Moses was given to that generation at Mount Sinai. It was to last. It was to be a conduit to bring mankind and especially that nation of people so that Jesus Christ could be born. That's why there were such strict laws about intermarrying between those of idolatrous people and etc. It was to bring the nation to Jesus Christ. Let's go to the next slide now and let's look at the 23rd verse. Notice here how the law is considered as a guard. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. The idea of guarding, in other words, that conduit, it was preserving, it was guarding that nation of people so that Jesus Christ could be born. But notice that last phrase there, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. 
In other words, after this law, the old law of Moses had been fulfilled. Remember Christ said, I didn't come to destroy, but I've come to fulfill the law. Once it has been fulfilled, once it is ended, then Christ and his covenant would begin, and that would reveal the faith of Jesus Christ. It's the historical account of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's the doctrine of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. It's the church that he died to establish. It's the organization and the worship of that church. It's the practice of that church. All of those things are the faith that has been revealed. Now, I need to note something right here, and I hope you can take and and really think about this. This is a very important point. There's a difference in the faith of Christ and your faith. Your faith is personal. It's what you believe. Now, I hope and pray that each one of us here believes and has faith in the faith of Christ. But you see, the faith of Christ is a system of beliefs that is taught in the new covenant. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10 and 17. And so that's why we can go and sit down with Christians that live on the other side of the world and they have developed their faith from the same system of beliefs as we have developed our faith from the same system of beliefs. And that's why we can say we share the same faith. We've never met each other before. We've never sat in the same house of teaching or instruction or worship before. But yet we sit down and we have the same faith. Why? Because that is the faith that has been revealed. I need to make sure that my faith is the faith that has been revealed. Let's close now with verse 24 and 25. Notice what he says here. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. A tutor was a servant, a slave, that would bring the school children to the schoolmaster. In other words, the servant or the slave that make sure they were safe, make sure that they uh, conducted themselves properly, make sure that they arrived, and then once they delivered the schoolmaster, the tutor was free to go. And so now he's speaking of the old law, and he says, listen, the old law was just a tutor for mankind. It was just to bring mankind to Jesus Christ. And now that we have Christ, we're no longer under that tutor. Last year, 2004, the Red Sox won. And the fans declared that the Bambino curse had been broken. Victory broke the curse. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross. His victory over death, because the tomb was found empty three days later, His victory over death provided a way of escape for you and I from that curse. This morning, Jesus Christ could stand right here and He could say, everyone, stand up. And I'm going to tell all those that are delivered from the curse to come to this side of the building and I'm going to tell all those that are still living under the curse of sin to come to this side of the building. And you know what? you would stand on one side or the other. And I would too. The curse is real. The curse of sin exists. And I've either been delivered from that curse, or I'm still living under that curse. 
And Paul writes to those of Galatia, and his plea to them is, be delivered of that. Find the Savior. Find that faith in Jesus Christ. And be free from the curse and the tutor. This morning, if you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, won't you be delivered from that curse this morning as a believer that's willing to repent of sins and come and confess Jesus Christ before men and be baptized? If you have been baptized and somewhere along the way something has separated you from the faith, separated you from the Savior, won't you come back to Him this morning? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.